Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's season two of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch. We're having a lot of fun. Got a bunch of great guests lined up. We're talking about guitars. Sometimes we talk about food. Sometimes we talk about aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just having a good old time. We're chewing the gristle for pity's sake. You know, and gristle is where fat meets flavor. This week on Chewing the Gristle, it's our great honor and pleasure to have a prolific potentate of modern metaldom. That's right, Devin Townsend, producer, guitar player, singer, songwriter, you name it. He's a doggone rock star, and that's all there is to it. He's a good buddy and a fun cat. So stay tuned for Chewing the Gristle with Devin Townsend. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to yet another edition of Chewing the Gristle. I'd like to just change it to Chewing the Doggone Gristle. Mm. And we have a musical, uh, I want to call you a legend, doggone it. Devin Townsend, ladies and gentlemen, is here with us from his home in Vancouver. Devin, hey. how the heck are you? What's happening? I am uh, I am quite good. I mean, it's, it's a Monday morning and I woke up. Uh, you know how some days you have to sort of juggle your emotions and I woke up this morning conflicted because I was irritated by everything, but I wasn't at the same time. I think it's just some days you just have that feeling like somebody's mowing the lawn or you're just your underpants are just a little too tight. Yes. It's clearly not that I'm uh, uh, expanding at all. It's just my underwear are, are, are shrinking. <laughs> and uh, the combination of those when I woke up, I remember thinking like, dude, you need to you need to shake this because you've got so much work to do this week. And I feel that I did. And I think that the thing that has probably helped the most is the meeting with you, my friend. <laughs> oh, 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 yes. Bless, bless your twisted heart. It's funny Thank you should you. say about feelings of of angst and so on and so forth. I, I was talking to uh, uh, a, a close friend yesterday and they were nonplussed about a particular situation. And I found myself giving advice. I'm like, where did that come from? Because I need to heed it myself. But I said, you, you can't. You can't react. You must respond. And I thought, wh where did that come from? But I'm going to use good. that. I'm going to use that in my own world at some point. <laughs> well, we had a we had a scenario yesterday where you know the family, as as is everything this year, everybody has divergent opinions on what should and shouldn't be done. And as a result, the family in its full form hasn't gotten together in in a year, right? And right. And yesterday, my mother was very upset, and and I did the same thing. I started sort of espousing all these like uh fortune cookie type phrases to try and make her feel better you know it's like well mom you know you can't make a silk purse or whatever you know just like, <laughs> start going down the thing. and as i'm writing it i'm just like i don't believe any of this shit you don't you don't you don't think this what are you doing you know? <laughs> i think my so favorite what, little tagline that i've ever heard was from actually from woody guthrie he signed off on a book and he said take it easy but take it and that's my favorite line of all <laughs> time <laughs> writing that one down too hey what's the poster behind you i'm intrigued uh what do i have well i have some kind of tibetan uh uh mural behind me like and then this is also some Tibetan is, and then of course the room is orange. So uh, <laughs> then I've got an angel over here. I've got a uh, a ohm thing over here. So I'm just hedging my bets, Devin. I'm just hedging I, my dude, bets. I, I I hope to see you in the waiting room. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that it's orange too. I think that's great, right? Yes, like, uh, indeed. 
So have you been playing? Because uh, it, you're, you're fortunate that your drummer is is very closely related to you. Yes, this is true. The the mm. the man the man beast that lives in the house with me. And uh, <laughs> boy, it's been odd the whole COVID scenario because I've got all of my four kids home. So just prior to uh, COVID hitting, um, I was almost an empty nester. We had my I had one left that's in high school. And I had a daughter in college. Another one was doing an AmeriCorps thing out in Vermont. And then my son was in the process of uh, moving up to Minneapolis. He had a house gig with some folks up there. Between what we're doing and up there, he was going to be all on his own. So he was gone. So I was like, oh, my God. I'm almost an empty nester. And then COVID hit. They're all home. Oh, my God. They're all home. That's got to be a mixed bag of emotions, that one, where you're just like, oh, it's nice. Because it's like, oh, shit, I forgot you're you're now a hulking human being. It smells yes. like a sweat sock. Yeah, no, I I have a I have a fourteen year old that just last week was six, I think, and uh, right. you know, and and smelled a lot different back then too, like a lot different, right? Yeah, the so, aromas uh, are are manifestly different as they, <laughs> as they age, and they keep uh they keep getting different as they as like each week that goes by, like the levels of testosterone that infiltrate their uh, their scent glands. Are yes. uh, you know <laughs> more peppery as time goes yes. on, man? <laughs> peppery. That's yeah, a dude. good. That's a benevolent way of looking at it. <laughs> well, you know, I try, brother. Yeah. You gotta take it easy, but you're gonna take it. Right? That is correct. <laughs> so, what kind of musical hijinks have you been up to? You are an extraordinarily prolific individual. I was, uh, I was uh, submerging myself into your magnificent world of sonic renderings for the last uh, day or so here and uh i'll tell you what it is a it is a vast and very interesting land and i dig it thanks buddy i mean i guess it's fair to explain uh to a certain extent why i write prior to explaining the the bullshittery that i've been up to recently because (laughs) on that level hopefully it will make a bit more sense but I just kind of reflect things. I don't, I've never really considered myself as a musician being um, super high on my list of, of credentials. It's just, it's like the byproduct of what goes on. Right. So maybe it's because when I was very young, I was um, encouraged to repress overt displays of emotion and music became this convenient avenue for these things to be, it's like a socially acceptable way of being the fruitcake that I am. So it everything kind of got hardwired to it. So I just write to purge whatever's going on. And sometimes it's really pretty, sometimes really sort of new agey sort of stuff. And sometimes it's like super destructive, brutal ugliness, right? And um, And as one would imagine, the past year has been a cornucopia of emotional information that needs to be purged. So I have, um, I've been doing a lot of things uh, to sort of pivot the career, like, you know, um, concerts out of the house and and things for YouTube and Twitch and all these sorts of things that we're all kind of having to do. And that's cool. And I started writing a record that I essentially start recording in, in two months that is really like a direct and, um, uh, you know, probably quasi-romantic yet heavy sort of uh, thing, right? But prior to doing that, because I tried starting that a year ago, I realized that the amount of chaos that was in my head and just with internet and being privy to what was going on in the world, 
it was not coming out the way that I envisioned it. It was just being skewed into this really abstract and um, chaotic form. So I just said, okay, well, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to do that first. And so I ended up making this two album project, but with also a couple of films and a graphic novel and um, a book called the puzzle. And my idea for that was I, I did a one take one or two take jam on my guitar, just like really echoey sort of ambient stuff. And then I sort of bulked it into a structure that had a sense of like musical narrative. And then I sent it to 50 people and I said, do whatever the fuck you want to it and send it back to me. And then when they did, I would integrate it. And then I sent it out again. And then they sent it to me and I sent it out again and they sent it to me and then they sent it out to me. And that went on for a couple of months that became in a sense, like a slow motion jam. And it included people that are, you know, genius level players, but also, you know, my buddy that works at the gravel pit and, you know, my, you know, my friend that, you know, hates what I do musically, but is a good buddy of mine, you know, like all these things. And the collision of all these things together resulted in this music that, um, well, it's not music. It's just, it's like, it's like an audio version of a, of a, you know, like a, a night out and then you just vomit all over the street. But there's <laughs> something to be said for that because now that I finished that, which was Friday, uh, I've got a clear path to this thing that I had originally tried to do. And I start that in a couple of weeks. So I will stop talking now and drink. Oh, I love it. Well, you know, what's, 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 what's fascinating is, is that it, it, it certainly seems to me that you have managed to wade the waters of the uh, music industry, which are fetid waters, if we're honest, <laughs> squalid, squalid well, waters. And, and, you, and you pretty much are able to create uh, as you see, see fit, because you have your audience, uh, and you pretty much can just let yourself be you and, and it works out. Whereas I, you know, you can't say that about a lot of folks. I mean, I mean, people do it in different ways, but I think there's pressure to, to adhere to certain, um, stylistic, uh, parameters or expectations and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, but you really seem to have, uh, look, I want to try this thing. Like you just described and people are gonna <laughs> like, yeah, that shit rocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they, we'll see how they feel about this one, man. But I mean, uh, I'll say a few things about that. I'll say three things. First off, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Like at every step of the way, there's this sense that I am, just so grateful for the opportunity to do that. And I don't mean that in like an empty platitude sort of way. I mean, I really mean that. Um, uh, secondly, uh, I, I, the audience that I've got, which has been super supportive, I think to my benefit has learned to expect that if I do something that is coming from a place of emotional authenticity, it's going to be okay. And if I phone it in, it's going to suck. And the, the times that I have phoned it in, like thinking, oh, it makes more sense business-wise for me to write a pop song now. So right. here's a pop song. If people are like, yeah, it doesn't sound any good, man. But if I'm like, hey, I want to make this coffee drinking alien record or I want to do this stupid puzzle thing or whatever, whether or not they like it, I think there's a sense that uh, in that is is like 
some sort of honesty. And I think that's what my collateral is at this point is, is, is the honesty, hopefully. And then the third thing I say is any of this, that looks like it's strategy on my part is purely unintentional. It is just, I'm pigheaded and I want to do something and then I just do it. And in hindsight, again, 2020, it's like, wow, that had a really sort of cool way of, 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 putting together a career for yourself that has an element of strategy. And I was like, there's none. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just pig headed. Right. Well, I will say that there seemed like I saw, I watched some more current uh, music videos. And then I saw one with you with the strapping young lad and you had, and you had a mean skullet and I applaud you for it. Thank you, sir. uh, But what was interesting to me is that in all of those different environments, the vibe you give off is just one of kind of like, there's no pretension. It's just like, I'm having fun, an informal, but yet courteous relationship with the crowd. There's (laughs) there's no bullshit. And I think that that maybe uh, is what allows you to have that artistic freedom. Because to your point, I mean, they understand is that, you know, the honesty part of it, because that's you. It's so infrequent as to be astonishing when one views it and experiences it. <laughs> well, I, 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 I would say the same about you, my friend. I mean, it's like uh, I was thinking as you're talking. It's 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 uh, um, number one. I really appreciate these compliments, man. It's like really nice. And uh, but uh, I mean, in a similar way, since I first became aware of you, which which was uh, with guitar videos years ago, because as someone who is, you know, I love guitar, right? I would watch and I would think, man, this guy has got the ability to be such a fantastically earth shatteringly ripping guitar player, yet with a nonchalance that I totally dig because in the same way that you have complimented me on the, on the seeming lack of pretension, I think that goes a long way with, with musicians, man, because I don't know how you feel. I'm sure it's the same, but music is, is it's an expression of gratitude. It's like, I'm so fortunate that I get to play music. It's, it's, and, and I've always sort of held to the idea, the same as a lot of times when I see documentaries about painters or visual artists or anything where they say, the work is not yours. You're just, you're the worker. Your, your job is to sort of keep your shit together enough that you can articulate this. And, um, and so with that, if people become, in my experience, super hung up on the art, like this is my song, right. this is my thing. It's just like, no, dude, it isn't, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, right. it's, it's just music, dude. You just, that's why I love improv too, because it's just, if you can just kind of let it go with, with and have fun with it, then I think some really cool things can happen. But if you're like, oh, it's, ah, this is, I've got to capture this and it's mine. And it's like, you know, it's my improv and I screwed that note up or whatever. It's right. Like, surefire <laughs> way to screw up notes is to like worry about screwing up notes, right? That's a fact. <laughs> so yeah, no, I appreciate a... the same thing about you, Greg. Thank oh, you. Oh, well, brother. thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're so just, welcome. 
it's just, it's one of those things too. It's like you know, as you said, it's like you, you try to squeeze something or control it. It never like all the the best things that have turned out for me that have just turned were things I never even would have thought of originally. It's just kind of <laughs> you know, you you just have fun with it. You go with the flow. You leave yourself open to possibilities and Bing Bang Boom. As soon as I try to, well, this is what I'm gonna do. Then oh, it's dude. just it's the worst. It's just a shit fight. Well, well, this is what this is what ended up happening with this record that I'm just finishing. It's like. All in my head, I had this vision of these kind of clean, sort of effervescent, yet heavy, romantic, I don't know, like a cross between Ride the Lightning and Watermark by Enya. You know what I mean? Like somewhere yeah. in there, right? And um, but it just wasn't happening because that's not what was there. And so when I finally just one night, I was like, all right, man, this isn't happening. Just just do whatever feels like you're most compelled to to do like whichever direction the music wants to come out just let it come out you don't have to release it but just let it happen and then as i started going down that road the chaos road with this one i started recognizing like oh there's there's it's effortless to do this mm -hmm. and that's my indicator that that's what i should be doing because otherwise you're just at least in my experience you're just you're you're fighting who you are right it's if you're if you're wired to be a certain way, you know, I guess the best, the best analogy I can think of is if you're gay and you don't want to, uh, and, you, and you spend all your life fighting that, you know, it's going to be a different outcome to just being like, look at, this is where I'm at, you know, and maybe that's not the best analogy, but it's, it's similar, you know, it's, it's if you're fighting something that is, uh, intrinsic, intrinsic to your to your personality even if it's like a transient thing even if it's just an artistic thing that's in the moment in my experience it's going to come out uh really strongly if you just let that be what it is but i think that there's a there's a trade-off with that in that if you're going to be as sensitive as it takes in order to articulate those sorts of intrinsic things i think you've really got to be careful with with your with your mind and you've got to be careful with your with your personal trip because everything that goes in is going to come out. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Coffee. <laughs> I can dig that. <laughs> so during COVID here, we've all done what we are able to do from the confines of our own homes. I'm extraordinarily grateful I've been able to do the things that I've been able to do here and remain solvent and do all that kind of stuff. And I've, I've found that um, I just like playing and creating stuff. So when Same. people are, you know, they're like, doesn't it, doesn't it kill you not to play in front of people and do gigs? Now, I don't want to diminish the fact that gigging is great and certainly interacting with humans is great. And, you know, and we're able to do that virtually. Of course, it's not the same thing. Uh, but I have to say, I still like being able to just come downstairs, get a coffee and create stuff and not have to be, I got to catch a plane because we got to do X, Y, and Z and this, that, and the next thing. So where are you on that spectrum? Are you like, oh my God, I can't wait to get out again. Or are you just like, when I go, I'll go. But for now, I'll just, I'm enjoying this. Well, I think, um, I think uh, we found that humanity in general is falling into one of two camps just on every subject. And it's not like if you're falling into one camp in one, you're automatically predisposed to falling into a, you know, the, right. the other ones that are similar, but, but this particular 
conversation about touring and, and playing and all this is certainly a this and that thing. And I did, did an interview for a magazine in the UK and nice people. But I think that the the narrative was very much like all artists are suffering for not being able to play live. Like it's the lifeblood of artists to be on stage in front of people. And they asked me the question, like, aren't you, isn't it killing you? And I'm just thinking to myself, like, no, <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> you know, like, and again, it's not that, um, it's not that I uh, actively dislike playing. I mean, there's certain aspects of touring that we all know are, are, are challenging, but I tend to be insular socially. I don't, I've got a handful of friends, but I've had, dude, these are the same people have been in my life for 30, 40 years. You know, it's like, and uh, I've got a family and, and, you know, I got a mow lawn and we got a, a dog who's an asshole. And it's like, all these things are like, you know, part of what it is that allows me to create is making sure that all that stuff is, is taken care of. And the touring part of it, um, I've often thought of it as being, again, my terminology and my, my uh, vocabulary is going to fail me here, but it's like a, a necessary evil to a certain extent, right? Because I find it very, um, I've got a certain a certain degree of social anxiety that, uh, and then I've got this certain thing that happens, and it's unfortunate at some shows, and regrettably some of the really big shows where I'm on stage and I'm like, oh, this is stupid, I'm full of shit, and then it's like, okay, what do you say now? Now that you're up here with this like hyper self aware kind of like, oh, I'm a human being standing on stage in front of a bunch of other human beings playing a bunch of songs and my voice is sort of shitty today and this song reminds me of something and it's actually not that great of a chorus and it's two minutes too long and whatever, right? <laughs> and then my tendency on stage is to be like, hey, this is stupid and I'm full of shit and this song's too long. You know, it's like that's kind of what happens. Right. And then I spend the next week and a half going, dude, that's funny. Why did you say that? Like, that's ridiculous, right? But then there's another show and there's another show and there's another show. And being on tour as well, it's, you know, the last tour that we did, it was like we had two vehicles and a, and a big truck to carry the crap. And there was like a 10 person band. And, and my uh, tendency is to try and sort of navigate everybody's social interactions in a way to kind of keep it healthy. And, and it's, dude, it's so much effort. And by the end of it, I'm exhausted. And I'm like, and, but the benefit of touring is, is twofold. One, the audience, which I'm so appreciative of. I mean, this is how you, this is how you connect. This is like, this is the people that support my ability to do what I do are there. And so if I can remember that, then I really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, and then the other, what was, the, what was that other thing? Sorry, two seconds. It was, um, oh yeah. Left to my own devices. I would probably just watch, you know, how it's made on the couch and eat Pringles for the rest of my life. And that wouldn't result in a lot of growth musically. So the fact that my career and life has compelled me to be in front of humans has forced me to sort of confront that social anxiety in a way that a lot of the music has come from. So without the ability to tour, uh, I think after a while, I just run out of things to say. And so uh, as an artist, as someone who I really, uh, I really love to create, uh, I, I value 
touring because it gives me inspiration. And I miss that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but but in terms of the actual practical part of touring and being in front of human beings and all that sort of stuff, it's like, I'm good, bud. Yeah. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you know, you mentioned something in there that, that I was going to ask you about <clears throat> is, you know, your vocal activities are, you know, they range from, you know, this kind of glorious, almost operatic tenor to, of course, this this power scream of doom and destruction that has a range <laughs> that is frightening to behold and i dig it and i'm wondering uh what's it like to maintain that especially when you're on the road are there some nights you're like this is not going to happen or you you have to modify <laughs> or if you've just been doing it for so long that you've got a routine down where you know that you're going to be able to do these songs without incident there may be a couple that okay on a good night i can hit this one song and we'll put that in the set list yeah yeah or is it a combination of any of the above well it is and i <clears throat> i never wanted to be a singer um when i had first started my my band when i was a teen i kept trying to hire singers but they were all um douches <laughs> and they, you know it's like it's like there's this psychology that comes along with being a singer that it's just to rend yourself for the the people or however you want to describe the process right however dramatic it gets i mean unfortunately it comes with a psychology that is uh, uh like a certain degree of of like hyper introspection and so it's like in lieu of hiring a douche, it's like, well, just become that douche. Right? Like that's kind of like what you got to do. But I worked at all these restaurants. Like I had so many jobs during that period too. You know, I was working as a, in an industrial bakery or a sheet metal fabrication place and all sorts of restaurants. And that's where I learned to sing uh, because I remember working in the dish pit at Earl's in Vancouver and I would have to go into the walk-in freezer to like put away all this, you know, all the stuff that the prep work was done, like the calamari and the chicken and whatever. And I'd be in there for 40 minutes and I just scream in there because at that time I was listening to music, you know, Soundgarden or Faith the More, Jane's Addiction, Pantera, whatever. And so I learned to sing by just screaming at buckets of chicken in the walk-in cooler. <laughs> and then when I finally got a gig, well, it wasn't even finally, I, 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 when I was like 18 or 19, I ended up in LA with Steve Vai. And he was like, well, you're going to be the singer. And I was like, dude, like, like, I don't, that's not my trip. Like, I can't, I can't sing. I mean, I can do it through force of will. I can do it if I'm screaming at chicken, but I mean, this is not, I'm not a singer. And so he had sent me to this uh, vocal coach in Los Angeles. He's like, well, we're going to be touring and you're going to have to learn to maintain your voice and all this sort of stuff. And he sent me to this vocal coach and he was like, well, sing for me. And I was like, ah, and, uh, and he was like, dude, you're going to lose your voice. There's no way you can sustain this. And well, and you know, now here we are 30 years later and I'm, I'm still doing it, but it, it took fucking up so many times or losing my voice on tour, which still happens, of course. But I do think that other than force of will, which is my main, um, you know, uh, strength, I think as a singer, I had interactions with some people in, in some, sort of professional bigger bands in the nineties who said, well, the singers in our band, this is their regiment that they do every day 
to maintain their voice. And it's basically a 40 minute um, series of scales and arpeggios that uh, require you know a certain discipline throughout the day, like you know, like alcohol sucks for it and right. cheese sucks for it and all these sorts of things. Um, and so it sort of checks and balances now. Like yesterday, because I've got a live stream coming up in another month, I started doing vocal warm-ups again because as we get older too, like the old scream tube gets a little more fragile. So <laughs> I think it's a combination of 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 diligence in terms of um practice but also sort of taking it easy on myself because it is it's it's a vulnerable thing and sometimes it just simply doesn't work and i can't let that level me to the point where i stop right right well then there's the whole idea of marrying the vocaling vocalizing that you're doing with these polyrhythmic guitar things and so <laughs> how how much <laughs> Did you have to work on that kind of activity? Because I know, you know, for my the stuff I do, it's like I, you know, there's some weird rhythmic stuff that I'll do, but I, you know, it's it's highly interpretive. But a lot of that stuff you're doing, those 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 chunky morsels need to be where they need to be. <laughs> I'd love that to be my my nickname now. Actually, uh, the uh, well here as 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 way of comparison, the eavesdrops were all fucked up outside. And so I said to my wife, I was like, I will fix these drops. And I went outside and I investigated it online as to how to fix it and the downspout and got the silicone and all this stuff. And, uh, and I did it, you know, I carved the thing in these drops and I put it in and I set it down. And then I was on tour a month later and she just sent me a photo without any context of the eavesdrop with all the water squirting out of every pipe because I guess I had put them in upside down and, and whatever, right? So I guess my point with my ability to multitask like that is, you know, people have like certain levels of proficiency. Like I'm pretty good at doing that sort of shit, but I can't, you know, all the other things, like making a 45 degree angle when you're doing a corner, I just, every time I'll do it the opposite way. Like there's just no question, right? So I think I, for all the things that I can do all right musically, it's it's uh, countered by like a litany of shit that I can't do at all, right? I so, understand. I I am in the same ballpark. People but I try, me. which is good, right? But um, the other thing I was going to say about that real quick is is um, with uh, oh yeah yeah I was just going to say I just I can do it in the studio pretty well, but then when we play live, I try and hire people that are better than me to play the guitar. And so I just get them to do it so I can just gesticulate, you know, I could be like, here comes that part. And I'll just hit a chord and somebody else will be doing all the difficult <laughs> parts. <right>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how much do you feel pressure when you're recording something of, um, I need to infuse X amount of Schwedels? You know what I mean? Uh, Not like much. Okay. I, in fact, it's kind of the opposite in a lot of sense. I like, uh, I've been very fortunate to play with players that are significantly better than me. Like throughout my career, I've been surrounded by, and I mean, I got my trip and, and I, I'm, I can say what it is that I need to say with my guitar playing. And, and, and I, I really enjoy, I like, I like you, I love playing guitar. It's just such a, such a comfort. Right. But um, since the very beginning, since Steve, of course, but all the way through, I've just been fortunate to play with these incredible players. And, maybe because I'm lazy as well, when it comes to doing solo stuff, I'm just like, dude, you should do this clearly. Like, I mean, if there's a part that I, 
it requires my voice as a guitar player, then of course I'll do that. But oftentimes when I'm writing, I'll get to a section that might typically sound like, okay, here's the middle eight. This is clearly a section for the Schweedles, right? Right. But I rarely hear that. I think, well, that should be an orchestra thing or it should be a vocal thing or it should be something else. Just the 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 sound of a of a lead guitar guitar voice for me uh rarely seems to be appropriate for for what i write mm-hmm. and anytime i have put it in there it's usually on the on the encouragement of either producers or people around me saying well you should put a guitar solo there and then typically i just you know i just modify the six licks so that i know really well and then just do the same thing that i've always done right <laughs> hey you know what it's like um I have said repeatedly, uh, you know, when I'm doing like a Skype lesson or something with somebody and, you know, talk about some of my favorite guitar players or or guys that had a a fairly limited vocabulary, but what was in it was so them. And they always said something new every time. So it's almost, it's almost as if, you know, you need to get to that point where it's just like, um, yeah, I'll, I'll learn some new stuff here and there, but this bag of stuff is me and how I communicate, how I jarble uh-huh. it up and, and, and say things differently each time is up to me, but it, it, it's almost a comfort to the listener to know, I know it was for me, like all the people I was listening to when I was coming up, I was like, I knew what they were going to play, but you know, every now and again, they would insert uh, something new here and there, but for the most part, it was just so nice to hear them as they as they speak in their vernacular. You know what I mean? Well, that's a, that's a great point, and I, I think that one thing that I have as a strength as, of a player is that I'm I'm happy to play with anybody. Like if I like I've I've as I'm sure you have, you've been in you you get into a jam with people who are incredible players, like unearthly players that can interpret every scale and mode on the fly and blah, 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 blah. But I'm not intimidated by that because when I'm with them, I think to myself, like, that's amazing. When it's my turn, what do I have to say? And it's not that it's like, that's not what I do. So it's like, I love to play and, and I love to jam too. The last, last touring entity that I was in, I was fortunate to be with uh, probably both of our friend, but Mike Keneally, you know, oh, Mike, yeah. of course, right? Absolutely. And um, he's just such a such a savant as yeah. a musician <clears throat> that here's a guy that when he's playing, um, it's just endless streams of inspiration, and it's it's like I don't think I've ever heard him repeat himself. It's just this this brilliant sort of stream of music, but as a result of being able to participate with somebody like that, I find I'm, it's, it's lovely. It's not like, right. Oh, that's intimidating. It's just right. like, oh, this is brilliant. I mean, listen to that. It's great. It's my turn. Cool. This is what I got to say. You know, I do my things and uh, right. that's awesome. That's a communication. It's like, it's a, it's a conversation. And I think that's, that's what it's about, man. Absolutely. And and to that point, I, I just, it's, I mean, I understand the mentality of, of people that see it as a competition but to me it's just so anti-musical i mean it, Agreed. <laughs> what you what you just described is how i describe is how i describe it to others it's like when you're in an environment with other guitar players um and you you definitely get the vibe right away that this this person we're communicating there's a conversation yeah. going on here <laughs> yeah. versus there's an insecure thing going on here and it's a wiener measuring thing you know and and <laughs> And, and that's just something I think that so many people have, been, you know, like, uh, 
you know, the casual listener or so on and so forth, they figure there's got to be a best. And there's not. There's people you like to listen to. Sure, are there people that, uh, you know, to, like what you said, can assimilate a vast quantity of harmonic knowledge and reinterpret it every time in a new way and so on and so forth? Absolutely, there are people that are more astute at that, but they also might not play in a way that moves you like like a BB King would, who would play like two notes. And Absolutely. that doesn't make anyone better or worse. It's just that's what's being communicated, and it just seems that that is lost so much on well, on the average, or even the music. I mean, there always just seems to be like this, um, like everyone's on the musical Cub Scouts, and they're waiting to get their next achievement badge, and it's just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was getting into the bath the other night and we uh, regrettably have this full length mirror above the bath. And as I was stepping in, I was like, wow, I don't have a huge penis. Like that was, <laughs> that was my thought. You know what I mean? I was like, it's not, it's not a huge penis. Right. But, um, but I'm married and, and it, I, it works. It, it's it working. works and it fathered kids. I mean, it's like, you know, right. so, so if we're having a, a dick measuring contest, I'm like, totally, I'm fine with right. my dick. You right. know what I mean? It's like, but it's not going to win any awards for being like, you know, like the most, you know, the dick with most potential or whatever. No, man, it's like, it's like a tiny little ball peen hammer. So I think that knowing that, is is great because then at that point it's like if somebody wants to like call you out for the fact that you are what you are it's just confusing more than anything else right you know what i mean it's Leave like my gonna... stack of dimes alone <laughs> <That's> exactly <laughs> an uncooked prawn he goes uh you know if someone's like you've got a you've got an average size penis and i was like you've got clearly powers of observation that are accurate because right. you know <laughs> Can we jam now? Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. It is an odd thing, though, isn't it? It's just, it's, and the internet, of course, is awash with it. But, uh, you know, what yeah. are you going to do? Well, I mean, I think that there's, I was thinking last night in terms of the internet as well, and it's unfortunate that as social animals, we have had this this situation where our only way of communicating with a lot of the people that we care about are, are is through the internet. But with that comes these elegantly de designed algorithms that lead you down this rabbit hole of, you know, negativity or divisiveness or conspiracy right. or whatever, right? Or and, aliens. But or aliens, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with that is like this sense that what we see on the internet every day is what society is. Right. But I don't know if that's the case, right? Like, I mean, I think that there's, it's, it's a, it's an analogy for society in that that divisiveness exists and there is a real sense of this and that and, and whatever, and almost every topic and, and aspect of life. But, but the dick swinging shit that comes along with guitar and all that, I mean, nobody that I work with or care for really participates in that you right. know like and, and if they do i mean we, we basically only have a jam or two and then it's just like wow this guy is 
a pain in the yeah. ass, right? Like I don't want right. to play with this, with this guy. But I don't know, man. It's it's I start Instagram's the worst shit. I like you know part of that's part of my work, of course, is to sort of stay in touch with the con with the audience whom supports my work. Clearly, it's important to me. But every time I turn on Instagram, it's just people with like elegantly coiffed hair, strategically setting themselves up to play you know crazy etudes on the piano, right? Like, right. Or, and and you're just like, wow, that. It's like an element of desperation to that validation that comes from that, that, that I find really like, Oh God, right. you know, like, ugh. and I mean, I've done it. Sure. I mean, I've, I've fallen into that where I'm like, I want to look like, you know, I'm the guy or whatever. Well, there's a, there's an element of fun to it, or there's an element of pageantry. Pageantry. <laughs> maybe that's it. But I think it's, I think maybe the thing that I, I've got to be more aware of as well is, is my tendency to be offended by by things right. right and 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 maybe not offended by like in the same way that you know this outrage fatigue shit that is clearly part of our life too like i'm not outraged by things in that sense but i'm like i right. tend to be like like oh that bugs me oh that's stupid or you know what i mean and 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 that doesn't help because it shouldn't bug me it's it's right. just it's a thing you know it's like let people do what they're going to do, man. Like if they want to tear it up on Instagram, like it's your issue. If you're bugged by it, like, Jesus right. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. I understand the language <laughs> that you speak. So what are you working on, man? Well, I got a new record coming out with the trio with my son and with the organ player, the mighty Toby Lee Marshall. And awesome. so we're releasing that, uh, our own selves. So that comes out the end of April here. Uh, and you know, just looking for, you know, we do, you know, I do four live streams a week and awesome. I do two, I do two for Wildwood. I do two for Fishman. Uh, and then every other week I do, uh, one with the band. So Toby comes down from Minneapolis and we go in the room here and we've got it set up where audio wise and video wise, it's sounding and looking pretty good. Awesome. And people have been very generous. So that's been fun. Um, awesome. And then we've been recording when Toby comes down. So as soon as this record comes out, we've got another one kind of in well along. So I think we'll probably put another one out um, in late fall ish. What's the style? Uh, What's that, the style? Is it is it uh, of the of the trio? Is it is it uh, uh, is it a way you could describe it? Or? Well, yeah, I would say that. Uh, this particular environment of, you know, organ, and then he plays key bass, but he's a great bass player. I mean, he's, it's not like, yeah, let's just get one guy to do both. It's like, you know, he, <laughs> he grooves in a way uh, that you'd have hired him as a bass player alone, but yet he plays or, you know, obviously regular organ as well in terms of comping and soloing and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and he's a total loon. So it's like, we see totally <laughs> eye to eye. There, there's definitely this element of improvisational and groovy abandon, but with, you know, there's, there's humor and mirth and, uh, and the boy of course is, is on the same page with all of us. So it's, this last record was uh, seven of uh, instrumental tunes and five vocal tunes. And uh, it's it's a you know there's definitely a big blues element especially when you got the Hammond organ going it's a blues funky rock and roll um, jazzy thing but all with you know it's its own little stamp on it so um, I see you've got a new guitar too is that uh, 
Is that the one yes. behind you? The green one there? Or? Yes. So this is. Um, so I work with our fisherman friends as we. Yeah. As we both know, know and love. Uh, oh, so you got a P ninety fisherman. Yeah, so I did a new uh, P90 with Fishman, which is coming out actually more like June. But they're in this guitar, which sure. just came out. Yeah. So it's the new Reverend uh, Gristle 90. So this body is just a little bit bigger so because, you know, I'm a larger fella. Yeah. And uh, so the P90s, you know, they have two voices. They have, uh, you know, as, as typical for perfluence, they got a little second voice that's a little bit more meaty and uh, a little bit more... Um, uh, output as it yep. were and yep. then i have this really cool out of phase setting on here as well uh, -huh. uh and then of course they're noise free because with p90 i always love the sound of p90s but damn when you turn What's them it? up to get some heat it's they start <laughs> buzzing like a baby is that is that 25 and a half scale is it like standard telly or uh, actually it like... it's, it's gibson scale so it's uh oh. it's a little shorter and it's ebony fingerboard and it's a set neck whereas the other one with my telly pickups on it that's more like a, a conventional uh fender format why did he go with a bigsby you know what that's a damn good question definitely <laughs> uh you know i like the sound well f first of all i guess what the the big thing about it was is when i got a uh uh, a Reverend Space Hawk, which is a Reeves Gabrell's um, yeah. signature model. Yeah. He put um, a special spring in his Bigsby on that guitar that does, you can do the warbles. You know, he, he took it from his bike, I think. It's a bike spring. That's that he cool, put, actually. That he put, they put in his Bigsby. So it works. It stays in tune and you can flick it and warble it. Plus, I always liked guitars with Bigsby on not only the way they look, but they sound a certain way. They do, I agree. They got that top loader thing. So um that's the reason why i did it i forgot what a pain in the ass they are to restrings. Yeah, they are man. so i've you know just what? been going with listen it's a right of <laughs> you, you can't evolve as a human being until you have mastered <laughs> until no, you have mastered the bigsby restring i had a i had a, a bigsby on a guitar um uh, for for years and i was even playing heavy stuff with it and and it was really cool but it's funny you talk about the spring because i had a buddy um, an older guy who was, you know, he had these guitars that the you know, guy's maybe in his mid seventies and he had these guitars that when you touch the Bigsby, you're like, that's what I wanted to do. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. that's it. And then when you get a new Bigsby, it doesn't do anything. It's like the spring is so tight. Right? right. So I ended up having to trade this guy tons and tons of shit to convince him to give me his spring out of his big, ah. you know what I mean? I was yeah. just like, I was like, dude, that spring there, makes it that it's this subtle, beautiful thing that yes. I love about the Bigsby's, right? But with yes. mine, I'd be like, huh, ting, 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 right. ting, ting. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, each, like, each string going its own way out of tune. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly it, right? Oh. But when they're nice, man, they're like so elegant, right? But Yes, exactly. But yeah, the techs really didn't like restringing them, right? I'll tell you what, I swear like a sailor when I'm restringing. But I, I, I think I've got it down now i do this how does a sailor swear by the way <laughs> <laughs> with yeah. with great vigor oh is it okay yeah. i with, thought it was like it was topical you know what i mean it's like <laughs> salty salmon <laughs> you know something yes indeed barnacles and such but yeah barnacles I, I, and such i figured out a way to kind of bend the string around in a way that seems to make sense but mm. um we shall see the jury yeah. is still out but uh I do find myself exhausting the full breadth of my uh, uh, profanity. Yeah. Hey, uh, is is uh, is that guitar available now through Reverend? Is this like it these... is? It just oh, came out. Awesome. So it was kind of funny. There was a, there was a little bit of a foobar. They had um, 
we had this one kind of turquoise that we had, and it was going to be called Tosa Turquoise. I'm from Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. Shout out to the hometown. <laughs> Special tone you. On one of, so there's going to be this Tosa Turquoise, a black one, and a gold. Um, and we're really excited. I've been playing the prototype for like a year now because we, you know, with COVID, as I say, release dates are really more of a suggestion. So everything was pushed back. Uh, you know, the guitar and the pickups were supposed to be out at Summer Nam last year. Obviously, none of that took place. So everything got pushed back. So I've been playing this guitar quite a bit. And people are like, I love that color. I can't wait to get it. Yada, yada, yada. I'm playing it all the time. Uh, and then Ken from Reverend calls me up. He's like, well, you know, you and I have had this turquoise guitar now for a year. Um, so I just took it for granted that when I ordered more, they knew what turquoise it was. So they chose a different color of turquoise <laughs> for, oh, the, uh, for the first, you know, three shipments of guitars, which is more of this turquoise. But, you know, it turned out that that looks pretty cool. I think it looks great. Yeah, so was the other one more of a lighter, lighter turquoise? Yeah, or? it's more of like a, well, I don't have it handy, but yeah, it's more of a, and, and this one's see-through, so you can kind of see the wood grain a little bit, where the other one's right. more opaque and, and kind of a brighter, almost yeah. more of a, like a pastel-y type of a People thing. are getting the special edition, Greg. They are! That's yeah, what we yeah. were able to spin it. <laughs> well, you know, it was just so funny when it's like, hey, sorry, folks. You know, there's going to be a, it turns out it's going to be a special edition. And then I had all these people chiming in going, I like that color better. I'm like, oh, for God's sake, you know, you can't win. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I guess you can. These are all first world problems. So I guess it's they, just, it's how you spin it. Right. If you're just like, like you say, you're just like, well, we kind of figured that the original one that a few of you liked was a little light. It was right. a little light for where we're at. So we right. thought we'd go for this more, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So anyway, they just came in. So now they the first shipment was almost going entirely to Wildwood Guitars out in Colorado. And then the next shipment would go to all, to all the different uh, dealers and so on and so forth. So that's awesome, all well man. and good. So that's fun. So they got new pickups, the new guitar, and uh, got the new record coming out. So Dude, that's awesome, Greg. These are all good things in light of... These strange times. Yeah, man. Well, that's at some point, it. we got to play together, too, man. I don't think. Oh, that would be been. awesome. I'd be yeah, totally dude. into that. Totally, man. I, I don't think we've ever had the opportunity to. Uh, to uh, um, engage in spirited musical congress. <laughs> God, man. And it I needs think, to happen. I think since the beginning of, of my uh, awareness of you, it's just your ability to, to string together a sentence that is just is very much in line with your ability to play. It's just, it's like, it's, it's, it's all the way that is. And dude, it's, that's another thing about Keneally as well. Like when he speaks, his vocabulary is just so extensive, like as a human being, just his ability to like put together a sentence yeah, is so yeah. wonderful that when I hear it, I'm like, Oh my God. So I think if I'm guilty of anything, it's that I try and keep up on a, <laughs> on a verbal level, but it's the same thing. I end up, I'll find a word that I like. And then I'll just, as soon as, if I, if I throw it into conversation, I can see like an eyebrow go up of somebody that I'm participating yes. with. Dude, I will use that word like, uh, you know, a dozen times in the same, in the same uh, conversation. I used the word efficacy with my parents last yes. week. And I, and I didn't even think that was a great word, but I guess they hadn't heard me use it. And I could see by the way that they sort of straightened up that they were impressed. And so I've used it a dozen times since, you know what I mean? It's like, and that's the description of my guitar style there. Like I'll, 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 I'll stumble upon something that's interesting. And I'll be like, Oh, that's cool. And I'll gauge the reaction. And then my insecurity comes out where I'm like, Oh, that, you mean this? 
oh, this here? You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what I do, right? So (laughs) letting that go is going to be the next step of improvisation. I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. It was a good one. That's funny you should say that because I often use the new word analogy to students when talking about how there's definitely a gestational period of learning a new little lick or idea that we feel compelled to wedge it in. Just like when we learn a new word, it's like you learn a new word and you just got to, you got to wedge it in to see how it works until finally it just becomes in your subconscious and it just becomes part. But there's definitely a period of time where I'm, I'm going to use that thing now. So as a teacher, (laughs) as a teacher, um, how would you suggest people get over that? Well, I say that the best way to do, well, I was fortunate uh, in my, it's just re- repetitions pretty much. So having opportunities to practice improvising, uh, where, where it's preferably <laughs> not in front of people, although I, <laughs> I certainly did it in front of you, but playing along with something that adheres to time, jam tracks, another human being, the band, whatever the case may be. I would back in the day when I was gigging, you know, five, six, seven nights a week when I was you know, younger and I had my own band, I could, I could throw in whatever I wanted. And so there would be times where I would write tunes with a specific chord change in it. That was, you know, a weak spot that I was like, I need to, I need to know how to negotiate those sons of bitches. And so I would, um, practice. So I practiced it in re- you know, on, on the gig, but you, certainly, you know, you, you want to be in a situation where you can, in, you know, put it in there almost like too much for effect until finally it becomes just another thing that's part of your vocabulary. So basically, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, just I just refer to that as the gestational period. So your 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 advice to people if they've stumbled across a person, I don't know who that could be, um, if they've stumbled across a lick that they have a tendency to just to throw in everywhere because it's novel, is just to is just to practice until that tendency is out of your system. Like by jamming, right? Is that right? And then, from and then I, I always use the analogy too, again, of the conversation. So, you know, when you're when you're improvising, like people, I always, I always kind of drive home with the fact as as guitar players, well, really as human beings, nothing's ever good now. At some point down the line, shit's going to be rosy, right? But you know, as guitar players, we're I hate where I'm at now. At some point, there's going to be a you know transformative moment <laughs> where I'm going to be able to tolerate everything I play and not want to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then I was just saying, there's nothing that stops you from making great music with whatever skill set you're in in the moment. But when you're improvising, it has to be conversational. And a lot of that is started by, like, a lot of times call and response. It could be a verbatim call and response. It could be more of like a vibe. You know what I mean? That you're going to stick to a certain, you know, whether you're cool. fingers as opposed to pick or maybe like pinch harmonics. That's going to be the beginning of the harmo- of the conversation. And then in that conversation, you might wedge in that new lick or maybe that new lick becomes the first salvo Hmm. of the conversation but then you're always just reacting to what you just played so that you're never going to be in danger of utilizing your entire trick bag because you're just responding to things in the moment and next thing you know the solo's over and it's it's more interesting as a player to do it it's more interesting as a listener because you sense that you're on a ride that really no one's in charge of you know what i mean (laughs) yeah well well, that's that's great advice man i i think that i think that Man, if there was a way to to teach uh, to teach people to improvise, I think that's that's something that um, has a lot more to do with with your life than it does for any particular technique, right? Like you say, 
<clears throat> conversationally to be able to start off with a call and response or a mimicking thing. I mean, those, if, if I was a student and, and the teacher said, follow me and started doing, you know, pinch harmonics or what have you. And then it just gradually goes into, I think that's a, an elegant way of leading people to, to sort of uh, forget that they're, they're paying attention to themselves. I had this, uh, a few years back, we went to this uh, hypnotherapist, which I thought was really interesting because my first thought was just like, I, you know, I'm not going to be hypnotized. This doesn't work, right? But it wasn't actually hypnotized. It's not like I was, uh, I'm a chicken or whatever, but it was just their way, <laughs> their way of guiding me into a place where I'm not judging my thoughts was much more based on suggestion, right? So they said, okay, here's a nice, comfortable place for you to sit and and I want you to envision like a chessboard and I want you to envision even numbers on all the, the white squares. And then I want you to envision odd numbers on all the dark squares. And then I want you to just sort of mix it up and, and, and then don't, don't gauge what goes on where. And I don't remember the, the specific uh, um, guide, but the end result was at the end, although not technically hypnotized, when I was asked questions about things that were pr uh, problematic, my reactions to them were without that sort of sense of judgment. I was like, oh, it's clearly this, it's that. And at that point I was like, oh shit, I had no idea it was that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. And I think that in a similar sense to that, what you just described in terms of, of like jamming with somebody, starting with pinch harmonics, then going to a motif and then whatever could possibly lead people to, to play without judging themselves in a sense. And, yes. and maybe that's what the, uh, the goal is. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, plus I another kind of a, a little, a little snippet that I also will say to him is like, you know, and again, this is not true for every genre, but certainly in kind of a blues rock, you know, whatever environment where bending and vibrato and slides and, you know, guitar-y stuff is, is welcomed and embraced. I always just say, you know, if you can get in your mind where you try not to let any more than like three or four notes go by before you do a vibrato, a bend, or a slide, uh, and of course, alarm's not going to go off if you go, oh, there were six notes, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's just more or less, then you're forced to pause and do those things that are really the more emotive aspects of oh, that's that cool. style of, of guitar playing. And it, it does work, and that keeps that conversation you know what I mean? It developing in a really cool way. Can you say that again? So basically try and. So if you're starting out with like a motive type of thing, not yeah. try not to let any more than like three or four notes go by before you add like a bend, a slide or a vibrato or a, a, a little whammy wiggle or whatever the case may be. And then that forces you to keep it in digestible snippets and to kind of. Because as guitar, you know, it is like you'll play something like, man, I left a gaping hole in there. And then you listen <laughs> back, and you're like, it was like a millisecond. That, dude, isn't that the truth, man? <laughs> what I found has been very, very, I, I've been very fortunate to fuck up publicly so much. That's been a great help for me as uh, with my, in my learning to improvise, right? Because I got some friends that um, have never had public failure. Like they've always been viewed as being really excellent. And with the ability that we've got here with digital audio and Photoshop and all these things to sort of construct a persona that is just so tightly controlled 
Sure. It's you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. here's this and this is like uh, after 15 tries, this is the one thing I'm going to put up on Instagram or or or, or what have right. you, right? Right. Um and you know, I I've, I've done the same thing of course, right? But my point is if you've made like just a, like a monumental fuck up, like there is a song that I have done for years called Kingdom, which I kind of got this, you know, people think, oh, that's a, a cool vocal performance because it's got this sort of operatic thing, like you had said or whatever. And then we did this festival a few years back and it's online, which is fantastic uh, in France. It was like Hellfest, I think it was, which is delightful. But um, <laughs> it's like, Thousands, it's like a big festival, like thousands of people. Right. And I went up to sing that song that people are like, this is the song that Dev sings that people know, right? That the one version I've got up online, I, you know, I was well rested and fed and hadn't played a show in a week and it sounds good. And I went up and did that show at Hellfest. And dude, it sounds like I had my balls stuck in a taffy puller. It was like the whole thing was just like, and, and as soon as it went south, I was like, there's no getting this back. Right like to the end of the song, this is like a gong show, right? And I remember getting off stage thinking, oh, that's that's it's horrific. Nothing about that was good, right? right. And of course, everybody's just like, ah, this guy's a piece of shit, blah, 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 blah. But getting that out of the way is very similar to people saying you've got an average size penis. You're right. you're just like, you know, sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose, right? And that's great for improv. <laughs> exactly. Know? You hit a wrong note and you're just like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's interesting. I was talking with, uh, who was I talking about this? We were talking about the Allman Brothers live at the Fillmore, right? As like, you know, there's a lot of people to, that is like the epitome of like, you know, the bluesy kind of jammy perfection. You know what I mean? And, and what's interesting is, is that when you, and you listen to that, it's a two record set, but if you get the, and you think, well, how could you assume that that's every night is, is really my, my thought. You know what I mean? Sure. It's sure, like, yeah. you're listening to that live record, like those motherfuckers every night brought that shit like that. And it was, and they weren't even that way that night. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> they picked the tunes, they played the best over several nights. And if you listen to all of the recordings of those, it's like some of it's like, oh my God, this is what? And you realize well, I'm gonna I'm oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say as devil's advocate, why wouldn't a band do that? Like, you know what I mean? I oh, think that there's all, of course. That's I'm, a, I'm not denigrating it, but in our minds, yeah, yeah. we we perceive, you know, them as gods or something, that they're flawless all the time as a result oh, of this yeah, live yeah. record. You know yeah. what I mean? I do. Yeah, and I'm not, from their point of view, I totally get it. And of course, we yeah, all do man. the same thing. You want the best performances. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but, it, but for some reason, with such an iconic record of, of that generation, too, there's, there's all kinds of religiosity that's foisted upon these individuals, especially if a few of them have Truly. left, you know, an untimely demise and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. There's mm-hmm. like this level of deification about the whole thing. And you're just like, no, they were just humans. And you know, they took yeah. the best stuff. And, and that's that. But, you know, it's impossible, especially when you're improvising and you know and and some of this this high intensity thing it's like the consistency is one thing flawlessness is impossible <laughs> when you were when you were starting you know so everybody's had their guitar heroes right like um i think the one that probably affected me most believe it or not was uh kk downing from judas priest oh, because yeah. he was out of tune and used a lot of echo and for whatever reason 
it's been my trip ever since. I'm just yeah. like, yeah, I'm out of tune. I use tons of that, tons of echo, right? But uh, but what about you? Like, what was it, Jimi Hendrix, or was it like Greg Allman? Or it was definitely Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix and Cream Era Clapton in particular. I mean, uh, I will say that you know I started playing guitar when I was. Thir- uh, no, 12, I guess. So this would have been like 79. So I um, Clapton came out with the live album in 1980, and we just all wanted him to sound like he sounded back in the 60s. And he didn't. He sounded different, which was cool. But uh, for me, it was like, you know, Hendrix, even to this day. And what's so funny is is that you I, I listen to all kinds of – I mean, even just as like yesterday I'm talking. I listen to all these bootleg of Hendrix that have become available. And sometimes it's just hideous because the guitar won't stay in tune. But when that when he was there to play, man, it's transformative. You know, he's he's communicating, and, and then people go, "Oh, you know." Especially, you know, times have radically changed, obviously, since then. I mean, even from when I started listening to him, when I, you know, I I was unaware of Hendrix's existence until he had been dead for several years. Mm. Um, and but it was still very very modern. You know what I mean? But then so many styles have changed, and there's been guitar players of just unparalleled virtuosity that have come out since then. So they don't listen to that stuff in the same way that I hear it. Because Oh, I see, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I and, do. Um, but for me, there was just something so... Um, like you see pictures back then of those guys going through the crowd on the way to the stage with their guitars in hand and he's got his fuzz face. You know what I mean? <laughs> they go up there and they, and they show the mic stand. There's no pedal boards. It's like fuzz face, univibe, <laughs> um, wah wah uh, pedal. And the guitars are just leaning up. They didn't have a guitar stand back then. They just lean. There was something so old West about that era. Mm-hmm. And there was no, the PA was not existent. So all of the, the, it's like just three Marshall stacks dimed, you know, on, on each side and away they went. So there was just something so primal about that that era that I it still inspires, even though, you know, obviously, you know, things have changed in, you know, uh, levels of uh, musical competency have, have certainly changed recording, you know, the whole nine yards. But uh, I, I definitely think that there was a, a more, I mean, not to get weird about it, but there I think there was definitely more of a spiritual connection it was much more of a um shamanistic type of thing that was going on when you saw these guys improvise in those in those in those days and age days you, and age. Uh, days and age because I, I, I think you, you maybe got eight or ten years on me you're like the generation right before me i think right and so i, I think was born the thing in 66 yeah oh, okay yeah i'm 72 so it's uh the uh the thing i liked so much about the guitar player kk downing was what i found out later was he was inspired by Hendrix, but, yeah, yeah. but I never, um, I never found the Hendrix stuff that, uh, <clears throat> that, that ticked the boxes as much as the things that were, you know, pertinent to my generation. Sure. I guess. So what would you suggest for people who were to investigate Hendrix? Like some of those transcendental moments? Well, it, it's interesting because from a song point of view and as, as uh, digestible snippets, the three studio records, are you know as far as you know composition wise and and um concise musical statements you know uh are you experienced 
Axis Bolda's Love and Electric Ladyland. I, I, I never had Are You Experience when I was a kid. I had Smash Hits, and my brother had Axis Bolda's Love. So that's Axis Bolda's Love is really my favorite Hendrix record. I always say if, okay. the, if that was a uh, um, my Desert Island record, that's probably it. Because it's, okay. it's the best kind of collection of both songs, parts... You know what I mean? Not so much Schwedling. There's very little Schwedling on that record, but it's just like guitar environments are created, right? Um, but for me, like Band of Gypsies, as far as an improvis- improvisational endeavor, that's my favorite. Um, so what was Band of Gypsies? Band of Gypsies was in 1960. <laughs> before Hendrix went to England, he had signed this really kind of predatory record deal that he signed away all of his rights for like a dollar and Mm -hmm. and because he just did some session and got some money and left and figured i'll never hear from that guy again he goes to england he becomes famous he comes back they're like hey remember this so he needed to uh give this other company one record and so he got together with a different rhythm section he got uh, buddy miles on drums and billy cox on bass and he did music that was, um, you know, more, he was like spiritually oriented. He was definitely getting into more of kind of a, a spiritual vibe lyrically and so on and so forth. It was more improvisational. That's the record with Machine Gun on it and Power of Soul and Message to Love and all that other kind of stuff. So that's a separate thing? So he had three studio albums and Band of Gypsies was like a separate thing? That's correct. Oh, I didn't so, know that. And so those were the records released in his lifetime so there was are you experienced access bold is love electric ladyland band of gypsies and then in 69 they they released smash hits which was just a compilation of the previous things and then he had a bunch of stuff in the can in various states of completion that has now been regurgitated and come out in various different posthumous releases of varying qualities and for for a kid for example who had never heard hendrix and would like to experience uh no pun intended yeah to some degree (laughs) what you had experienced are you experienced would you suggest band of gypsies i'm talking about just myself like after we're finished i'm going to listen to some of this you know like would you suggest band of gypsies or uh I would suggest all of the above. Okay. Sure, 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 I, well, you know, I think, you know, Are You Experienced is much more of a pop record, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, Axis Bold as Love is too, but it's more mature and and heavy, you yeah. know, both lyrically and musically. Yeah. Um, Electric Ladyland was kind of a, uh, is where he was diverging, you know, because he mm-hmm. had this pop producer that was kind of, Chas Chandler was producing him to make, pop records for the first two records and then on the third record they started to have a parting of the ways until finally Chaz left and Jimmy finished the record so there's a lot more uh improvising and in uh layering and stylistic differences and it's a double record or it was a mm. double uh vinyl thing back in the day yeah um electric ladylands or, or um um band of gypsies is interesting because that was definitely they've now since come out with uh, the compilations of all the different sets he did. Cause I think he did, I think he did uh, six sets maybe over that weekend. It was at the, the Fillmore East, the, the uh, new years of 1969 going into 1970. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is some ragged stuff on there. They definitely cherry picked the good stuff, but for the most part, the rhythm section is just locked in Jimmy's tone. As far as like a strat fuzz face, 
Univibe and Wad. He's got an Octavia. It's the first time you, you know, well, he used Octavia a little bit earlier on, but he he uses it on a couple tunes on there where you're just like, it sounds like a steel drum from hell that just being really banged by a demon. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, the reason why I, I missed Hendrix, not completely, because I heard a couple of things, like just jams that he had done that were just like astounding. But I think the reason I never really clicked with me is I've been so attracted to Echo since ah. the very beginning. It's like if anything had echo on it, that's what I wanted to hear. Right. And it's it's like I I remember I had the, my first Sony Walkman, you know, little blue piece of shit that yeah. like like was like five hundred bucks that my dad had that we weren't allowed to touch. But every now and then I could take it out or whatever. Had this demo cassette that came with it that had you know shitty canned music that sort of gave an idea of the potential of this this unit and on it it had a saxophone solo with an echo on it and i would listen to that specifically for the echo it's just been my thing since as far back as i can remember and even now when you know people are are uh, have been critical of my work they're just like dude there's too much echo you got to get rid of the echo even my father would just be like why is there so much reverb on your goddamn song (laughs) right but it's like but so i would try and get rid of it just to be like, you're right. I don't need the reverb. I don't need the echo. You know, I mean, I'm just going to be who I am without any of that. Right. I'm listening to it. I'm like, yeah, but I really like echo. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just, so I'm playing it. You know, I got like, I had, you know, I got an old silver face fender champ, you know, it's beautiful little amp, like 1967 or something. Right. It's a great little amp. Right. And I'm like, what a real guitar player would do is just plug into the front end and just like not have to worry about echo. And then I'm just like, yeah, but I don't play because I just, I just want to hear echo. Right? I so, understand. Well, you know what's interesting so, is is that echo wise, I've discovered that one of my favorite things is is a slapback delay, but it only sounds really good to me if I turn the reverb off. So it's just literally guitar, slapback, echo, and nothing else. And that's huh. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And I yeah, realize yeah. that that's the sound I would hear like on um uh like Jeff Beck Truth album. Certainly it's the sound of the old Elvis Sun Sessions and stuff like that. But like uh, Jimmy Page on like um uh I oh, Can't God. Quit You Baby on, on yeah, Zeppelin man. One. He's got that Echoplex on that single repeat, and there's no reverb, and it just has this spooky kind of stark thing that happens. Zeppelin three was a uh, was a it was like the changing point for me. Like yeah. that sort of folky one, that was the one that changed it for me, man. And I, I think it's funny when I think about that that um, echelon of guitar players. The one that I think probably moved me most was probably Jeff Beck. And there's right. a there's a there's a video of him playing in Japan, um, and it's got echo on it. But uh, <laughs> it's it's from and maybe it's only from like 15 years ago. But he plays uh, "Goodbye Pork Pie Hat." Oh yeah, and Dude, that guy's connection to the guitar is surreal oh, yeah. to it's me. It's definitely transcendental. You know? yes. Oh, it is, isn't it? Because yeah. it's like it's like it bends to his will yes. in a way that is is so foreign to me. Because for me, I'm like, we've got a we've got a truce, me and the guitar, where we're, it'll do what I like if I do what it likes. You know what I mean? It's like right. this kind of this kind of you know symbiosis that is is conditional, but with him. It's like, no, 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 no. That was just like, whatever he's thinking, the guitar did. 
right. which is incredible to me because that's like so rare, right? What's your what's your relationship with him like in terms of your appreciation for him? Well, he's definitely um, a major, major source of inspiration. I mean, mm. especially um, what I like so much about his playing um but i i will say he's someone i don't listen to a lot as of as of late just because his playing is such a strong flavor that i find that if i immerse myself it, it's impossible not to go there you know what i mean mm, yeah, so but yeah, yeah. but earlier on i mean especially like when i was in high school there was a show on for a very brief period of time and it was called rock and roll tonight and it was this set rhythm section of which I found out later, this drummer that I knew that ended up moving to town and I'd do gigs with, he was the house drummer. Uh, but they would have various different combinations of unusual people. And on one particular evening, it was Billy Squire was the host. Hmm. Um, and he interviews this jam that's about to take place, of which he's a participant, uh, with Les Paul and, and Jeff Beck. And so Jeff Beck comes out with Lester, and uh, Lester comes out first, and they're playing this tune... Um, it's this, this old tune. It's called Peace and Love. It's the coolest tune. For years, I didn't know it. I was like, it kind of sounds like Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. It's similar changes, but that's not it. And I only found out a few years ago what the damn song was. Um, but it's a it's a cool kind of a gospely blues. Got some different chord changes in it. And uh, Les Paul starts playing. And then Jeff Beck starts playing. Oh, he's got he's got one of, at the time. Uh, there were reissue 57 strats, although I think that was actually a 57 strat. He was bombing around with one of those for a hot minute. Yeah. And he was plugged into a twin with just a slapback echo on it. And that was mm -hmm. it. I mean, there was not much gain. There was just a little bit of a slapback, and that was it. But he would play over blues, and when he would play over blues, it's like he had a blues sensibility, but yet he was doing random stuff that just made sense. Like he was more akin to uh, uh, advanced harmony than just your regular blues individual. And that's just, what I've always loved about his playing is that it's very much steeped in, in, in old school, but yet he's always pushing, pushing the envelope. Whereas a lot of his contemporary, whether it be Clapton or page or, you know, Peter green or any of those guys that were, they kind of said at one point, this is what I do. And that's it. Whereas he's always been, he's never really had the success to be able to do that. You know what I mean? He's always mm -hmm. been pushing. And so it's always been about uh, an evolution of someone with all those cool influences and the fire of that era, but yet continues to evolve. That's interesting. I just wrote that down too. So Rock and Roll Tonight was the name of the show? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure it's online. I'd love to see it. Man. It is. Like, I found it not too long ago. And, yeah. and at one point, Les Paul unplugs uh, Jeff's guitar. But he just does, like, cool <laughs> rando, rando stuff. Then they do a version of Back to the Chicken Shack, uh, just, just a shuffle tune. And it's just so cool. To some and that's my was my only complaint is as, as Jeff went on, it was just like, man, I love all the crazy new jams and I love all the electronica stuff. I've I've got time for it all. Mm -hmm. But when he was but that early Jeff Beck band, he would just do like bluesy stuff and just like do me a favor, just have a couple tunes where you just do your thing over like a blues progression. Because sometimes that's all I want to hear. <laughs> isn't it interesting that there's a certain type of guitar player? And I would put Van Halen into this category as well, that it's like, although they have their wheelhouse that they function within, like whether or not it's hard rock or blues or whatever, but when they're playing, you get a sense that they're connected to something musically 
that they could take that anywhere and it's kind of timeless in a sense it's like yeah. it's like if they're going off into this category here it's not because they practice that it's just that they're connected to this kind of musical current that guides their improv to all these places that are you know it, it's incredible and 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 I love the idea that you can have a player that functions within a certain genre. You know, they've made success. You know, Van Halen, for example, is a you know, party rock or, or right. whatever, the, you know, hard rock from L.A. That's you know, all this sort of thing. Yet every now and then you'd see him improvise. And you're like, dude, he's, he's just, he's touched on right. a level of creative improvisational genius that is unbound in a sense. And I found the same thing about Jeff Beck as well or, or Hendrix or whatever, where they would where they would take these, these motifs, whether or not it was blues or hard rock or whatever. But then when they did go off, you're like, Oh shit, <clears throat> you're only bound to this by your own choice. Like right. you're a blues guitar player because you like blues, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're like, that's your trip. Right? right. Like, I don't know, man. I loved Zeppelin too. Holy shit. I loved Led Zeppelin. Oh my God, man. Jimmy yes. Page too. Love watching song remains the same. And I'm like, wow, that's so like not what I would consider to be fantastic guitar playing, but it's untouchable guitar playing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, well, plus it, and as he's doing it, he's like, you know, the coolest guy alive. You know what I mean? There, there's that. That doesn't hurt, right? Like, <laughs> and it's been great talking to you, Greg. I really Oh, likewise, my friend. We could, we could probably you know, go on for hours, but we should probably wrap her up. I, I guess, yeah, man. <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely, man. It's like, it's nice to talk about guitar too. It's, I love it, man. I love it, brother. Well, it I hope to see old. you again soon. And, yeah, Absolutely. it doesn't, does it? Oh, the only thing it does is us. <laughs> oh, that's a fact. That oh my God. is a fact. Yeah. Well, I uh, I saw you had posted a picture of yourself when you were uh, when you were young and recently on your thing. And if I may be so bold, my friend, you look far better now than you've ever looked. <laughs> <laughs> well i appreciate it <laughs> yeah man well take care man and thank you for this and 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 continued good luck with your work and navigating this this uh this time in which we are thrust into and yes, i wish you nothing but success and all the love in the world my friend likewise my friend i look forward to our next encounter and i hope that's sooner than later yeah and even if it isn't let's do this again sometime it shall be done. All right, my friend, you take care of yourself. Have a good one. Thanks, Greg. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon. Or you'll hear me soon. <laughs> <laughs>